you have a copy of God's Word, either in printed form or in digital form, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me. This is God's Word. I believe it is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now, in case you're new with us and wondering why in the world do we do this, the reason is because we really do believe that this book is God's Word. This is a unique, one-of-a-kind book. And when we read it, we're reading the very words of God, and the Word of God has power to change us at the very core of who we are. Now, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I've discovered that one of the most important things that any pastor can ever do for the people that God has called him to care for, the people that God has called him to shepherd or pastor, is to pray for those people. And every week, I pray for many of you. I don't pray for all of you every week, but I pray for many of you every week. I systematically go through a list and I pray for you on a regular basis, asking God to meet your needs, whatever those needs may be. At times, I know specific needs. At other times, I don't know specific needs. And I am praying for generic needs in your life. But understand, praying for you as a pastor is an important thing. We see that in Acts chapter 6, by the way. In Acts chapter 6, the church had been born, and the church was multiplying in an incredible way. But with this multiplication came some problems. You had some growing pains. And you had some people that began to argue and bicker among themselves. And instead of getting actively involved in solving that problem and restoring unity to the body, the apostles, which would have been those early pastors in the church of Jerusalem, came together and the church sought out some men, some prototypical deacons, who would take care of those problems, meet the needs of the people, so that the apostles, the pastors, could spend their time in prayer and teaching the Word. Now, that wasn't the only thing that they did, but those two things were the most important things they did. Because it is as we pray and as we open up the Word to people that lives are changed. And so when you ever hear people say, well, I appreciate you praying for me, but can you understand there are times when we have the ability to meet a need and we can and we should do other things. But I'm afraid that many of us fail to understand the power of someone else praying on our behalf to the throne of God for the needs in our life. It's vital. It's important. And we see Paul doing this on a regular basis. In the book of Ephesians, we see two prayers that that Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus. And in Philippians, we see a prayer that Paul prayed for the believers there. And in Colossians, we see a prayer that Paul prayed for the people there. And what's amazing as we read these prayers is that Paul did not pray that God would meet the material, the physical needs of the people. 
Now, is that saying that their material and physical needs weren't important? No, it's not saying that. But it is saying that the material needs, the physical needs in our life, pales in comparison to the spiritual needs. And that's what Paul focused on. He focused on praying for the spiritual needs of the believers in Ephesus. Understand, when people pray for your physical needs, for you to be healed, for your surgery to go well, for you to get a promotion, for you to get a job, for, for different things like that, those things are important, but they're temporal. When you were praying for people's spiritual needs, you were praying for things that are eternal. And so they are much more important. And that's what we see Paul praying for most often as he prayed for the churches that God had allowed him to be a part of planning and pastoring. And so with that said, I want us to read together in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, going all the way through verse 23. Follow along as I read. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him, Christ, the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. He is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now as we pray, there are typically three things that we should always include in our prayers. We should include praise and thanksgiving. When we praise God for who he is and we thank God for the things that God has done, that God is doing. And we see Paul praying that in this prayer. And then whenever we pray, there should be a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time when we ask God to search us and we come clean before God because God is a holy God and our sins can separate us from God. Now, Paul does not address that in this prayer. But the final part of our prayer is intercession. That's when we pray for, for our needs. That's when we pray for the needs of others. That's when we go before the throne of God asking God to work on behalf of someone else doing something for God's glory, God's honor. And we see Paul praying that in this prayer. Now the first thing Paul did as he prayed was he was thankful to God. And I want you to notice what he says. He said, I am constantly giving thanks. In other words, Paul was in a constant state of prayer. 
When I look at what Paul accomplished in, in a short amount of time as a believer, and I look at what we are accomplishing today as a great group of believers, what we are accomplishing pales in comparison to what Paul accomplished. And perhaps the reason, maybe the reason is because Paul was constantly praying and we're not. Maybe if you and I began to pray with the fervency that Paul did, we could experience the power that Paul had. And so Paul was constantly praying and he was thanking God. And as we read this, we see two things that Paul was primarily thankful for as he went to God for the believers in Ephesus. First of all, he was thankful for their strong faith. Now most of us, when, when we think about faith, we think about trusting God to do what we've asked God to do. That's what faith is. I have faith that, that God will answer my prayer. I have faith that God will meet my need. I have faith that God will give you this job. I have faith that God will heal you of this disease. And we think of faith in that way. And, and certainly the Bible speaks of faith that way. Jesus said in Mark 11, if you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you can say that this mountain be moved and cast into the sea and it will be done. And, and so we need to have faith as we pray, as we ask God for things. In James chapter 1, James says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because if you doubt, you're like a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed. Don't think you'll get what you ask. And so there is this faith where we're trusting God to give us what we ask for. But that's not what Paul was talking about here. Paul is talking about their faith in Jesus. Not their faith in Jesus to answer their prayers. Not their faith in Jesus to heal the sick, not their faith in Jesus to provide for their needs. No, he's talking about their faith in Jesus to save them. He's talking about their faith that is being shared throughout the world. He's talking about their faith that has penetrated the world at that time. Their faith, their trust, their relationship with Jesus. What we need to understand as a body today is this. It's not primarily what we do as we gather together that's important. Our singing, our giving, our study of the Word, those things are important. But those things pale in comparison to what we do when we leave this place. You see... What we do when we're scattered as the body is much more important than what we do as we gather as a body. And that's what Paul is thanking God for. He's thanking God that their faith has been made known. How had Paul heard about their faith? People were talking about it. It had changed the world. It was changing communities. And so the question I've got to ask of myself, the question I need to ask of you is this. Is your faith something that a pastor can be thankful for? Is my faith something that 
the great shepherd, the chief pastor, Jesus, can be thankful for? Is my faith penetrating a lost world? Because understand, it's not what we do when we gather. It's how we live when we scatter. And so let me ask you, are you living an authentic, genuine, Jesus-filled life when you go out there in the world? Do people know that you're a believer not because you're self-righteous, not because you're arrogant, not because you're holier than thou, but because you simply live different. I went to the ball game yesterday, Carolina game. By the way, that's why they won so handedly. Thank you very much. But it's the first game that my wife and I have been to in a, in a long time. And to be honest with you, I was a little shocked. We drove to the game. We parked and people were tailgating. You know, we were walking by. And, and the words that were coming out of people's mouths, the things that people were doing, I mean, outside the stadium, it, it shocked me. It, it shocked me. And then we got to the game, and we're sitting inside the game and watching the game. And, and, and I heard not teenagers that just are immature. I heard adults cussing at referees and, and college ball players because they missed a field goal, because they disagreed with the call. Now, hear my heart. Hear me. Hear me. I, I know. I, I know that we live in a sinful world, and that's the way the world acts. So understand, I know that. But what troubled me more than that is the realization that some and perhaps many of the people that were acting this way and saying these things would call themselves Christians. That bothers me. We are to live our lives in such a way that the world knows there is something different about us. But understand, the reason that Paul had heard about their faith was not just because of the way they were living, it was because of what they were saying. They were verbalizing the faith. They were sharing the gospel, that Christ had died for our sins, that he defeated sin and death and rose from the grave and because of him we can have life they were sharing that message everywhere they went and it was changing the world and Paul said I'm so thankful he was thankful that they were sharing their faith and then he was thankful that they loved God's people everywhere now, now notice what it says they loved God's people now, we as believers are to love everyone. Jesus did. Jesus loved the world and gave himself for it. But hear me. The Bible makes it clear that there is to be a unique, distinct, different love that we have for one another as part of the family of faith. Jesus said this. He said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. He was talking to the disciples. Those that followed him. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. By the love you have for each other. Paul said, I'm so thankful for the love that you have for each other in Ephesus. 
and, and the love that you have for believers everywhere. In, in other words, they were somehow getting involved in expressing love to believers all over the known world. Now, this isn't talking about some mushy feeling kind of love. This is talking about an action love. You've got needs, I'm getting into your life. You've got hurt, I'm walking with you through life. That kind of love. And I, and I want to be honest with you for a moment if I can. I don't see that kind of love in my life like I want to. I, I mean, you know, we, we have this mindset. We work hard for our money. And so if you've got a need, why do I want to give my money to help with a need that you've got? You need to work hard for your money. Now, no one in this room would say that except me. You're just going to sit there and live it. You see, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that these people so loved one another, when someone had a need, everyone else would gather together, sell things, do things to meet that need. And understand, hear my heart. I'm a cynic at heart. And so I know, I know that there are people that will abuse that. There are people that will take advantage of that. And the Bible says very clearly, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I understand all of that. But here's what I know on top of that. We as the people of God today, we're not expressing that kind of love today. We're not. And part of it is because we live in a material world and we worship material things. We love our things. And if I help you when you're in need, that means that I may have to get rid of some of my things. And yet, hear me, hear me. This, this was the love. This was the love that Paul was talking about. Not, oh, I love you, praise Jesus, give me a high five in Jesus' name. It wasn't that. It's the kind of love that you got a need, I'm there. you got a hurt, I'm there. you got a pain, I'm there. I'm walking with you through life. You're not alone as you walk through life. And in a secular, carnal world where it's me first, it's all about me, all about mine, when you begin to live that way, people take notice. So, so the question is, what are you doing that your pastors can be thankful for? And, and, and unless you think that I'm pointing you out, hear me. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the chief pastor. And so what am I doing that Jesus can be thankful for? We need to ask ourselves that. And, and then Paul began to pray. And he prayed for three things. First of all, he prayed that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Now, atheism teaches us there is no God. Agnosticism teaches us that if there is a God, you can't know that God. But Christianity tells us there is a God, and that God desperately wants you to know him. And then, when you come to know that God, that God desperately wants you to grow in your knowledge of him. You see, so many of us today are shallow 
in our knowledge of God. Yeah, we know him. We've been saved. But we've never grown in that knowledge of him. And our knowledge of God is superficial at best. Now, how do we grow in our knowledge of God? Well, how do we grow in our knowledge of anyone? We grow in our knowledge of someone by spending time with them, correct? Sherry and I have been married for 34 years. Before that, we dated for two years. I remember our first date. We went on that date, and, and I learned some things about Sherry. There were certain things she wasn't going to eat in front of me because she was afraid she would make a mess. I learned something. And, and as we dated, I learned more about her. And then we got married, and I learned even more. But what you need to understand is today, 34 years after I said I do, I know far more about my wife than I knew when we first got married. And the reason I do is because I have spent time with her. The reason I know more about her is because I've studied her, I've observed her. And though she may debate this, the reason I know more about her is because I listen to her. <laughs> you, you see, we get to know someone better by spending time with them. And that's how we get to know God better. So how do we spend time with God? Well, first and foremost, hear me, we spend time with God through his word. Not prayer, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. First, his word. God's word is the revelation of himself to us. And if you are not systematically, regularly digesting the word of God, your knowledge of God will be superficial. You've got to make a commitment to get into the word. Now, some of you, you're big on prayer, and we're talking about prayer. And you go, Rocky, I, don't, I know I don't read the Bible like I do, but boy, I pray. Well, hear me. Hear me. If you pray and you are not systematically digesting the Word of God, you are in danger of praying wrongly. You are in danger of praying misguided prayers. Because it's only as we read God's word that we know God's heart. It's only as we read God's word that we know God's character. It's only as we read God's word that we know God's desires. And so some of us are praying all of these prayers and we're asking God for things and we're getting these revelations of God and yet those revelations are diametrically opposed to the word of God. Hear me, God speaks to us in prayer. God speaks to me in prayer. That may sound weird to you, but I'm here to tell you, God speaks to me in prayer. I can hear his voice. It's not a deep voice. It's not a high voice. It's not a voice that I can even explain or describe, but I can hear God's voice speak to me. And then I get into God's word to make sure that it is God's voice. 
How do we get to know God better? By getting into his word and by praying. And by the way, listen to what Paul said there. He said, I pray that God will give you wisdom and insight to grow in knowledge. And so as we get into God's word, what do we have to do? We are praying that God will open up our mind, that God will open up our heart, that God will open up our ability to know what God is saying because we can read the word of God and never get anything out of it unless God through the power of his Holy Spirit is guiding and directing and leading us. And so Paul first of all said, I pray that you will grow in the knowledge of God because by the way, as you begin to discover more things about who God is, you'll fall more in love with God. You'll be more in awe of God, and you will discover, hear me, that the fears that overcome you in this world and the cares that seem to grab you in this world are fading away because you know God better. So he says, I pray that you'll grow in the knowledge of God. Second, he said, I pray that you will understand the confident hope that we have in God. Now that word hope, confident hope, in the New Living Translation is one Greek word, hope. But, but the word here is different than the, the hope that we think about today. When we think about hope, we think of things like this. I hope I get that job. Man, I hope I'm going to be able to come and see you this week. I, I, I hope Carolina wins that game. I hope Clemson wins that game. It's a, it's a hope. But the word here is a Greek word that means confidence. It, it means a certain expectation. This isn't a hope-so hope. This is a no-so hope. It's the kind of hope that, that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 40 when he says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's the kind of hope that the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says this hope is the anchor of our soul, firm and secure. That's the kind of hope he's talking about. You, you see, hope, hope is the settled confidence that God is on his throne and all things, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. A hope is, is that confident expectation that when this life ends, it's not the end. The best is yet to come that our eye has not seen, that our ears haven't heard, that it hasn't entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. How, how do we deal with the disappointments of life? Hope. How do we make it through the, the painful times of life? Hope. How do we face death, the death of those we love? And even one day, our own death. Hope. If, if our hope doesn't get us through, we need to ask ourselves, what is our hope grounded to? Peter said this when he was writing to the believers. 
He said, always be ready to explain to someone about the hope you have in Christ. These believers that he was writing to, they were, they were facing persecution. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. They were losing their lives. And yet in the midst of this, they had hope. And Paul was saying, your hope, it's going to be a magnet. And when people ask you how, can you have hope as you face a certain death, be ready to tell them about Jesus. I, I got to be honest with you. Before May, I knew about this hope hypothetically. I knew it was real. I read about it. I trusted God with it, but I never experienced this hope. I mean, I, my parents are living, my wife's parents are living. We've had a good life. But then my son died. And I discovered that in the midst of pain, God gives a confident hope. And we can say in the midst of not understanding what is going on, that all things still work for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. So Paul said, I pray that you will know this confident hope. And then finally, Paul prayed that they experience the incredible greatness of God's power. Now understand, Paul didn't just say, I pray that you understand God's power. Paul said, I pray that you know God's power for us. And this was a big deal for Paul. In Philippians 3, Paul said this. He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Peter said this. He said, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for life. But in verse 19, it's as if Paul takes out all the stops to help us understand the power of God. And, and in this one verse, Paul uses four Greek words that are often translated power to let us know the power that is available to those of us who are in Christ. He uses the word dunamis. It's the word that we get our word dynamite from. It speaks of the inherent power of God. He uses the word energia, the word we get our word energy from, the power to perform a task. He uses the word iskus, which means power or strength, power to accomplish an end. And he uses the word kratos, which is the power to control. And, and with all of those four words, it's as if God is saying to us, believer, all of my power is available to you as you're walking through life. And so my question, if this is true, and by the way, listen, if it's not, then we need to just throw this book away and quit meeting here and go somewhere else, do something else. But if this book is true, it says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead all the power of God, every word that Paul could think of to use, all that power is available to us. 
who are in Christ. And, and so my question is, why? Why are so many of us living defeated, disappointed lives, struggling with depression? Why, why are so many of us living in the bondage of sin, whether it be sins of actions or, or sins of attitude? Why is it that, that so many of us have not unleashed the power of the spiritual gifts that God has given us for the sake of the body. And by the way, hear me, the gifts that God gives you aren't for your edification, they're for the edification of the body. And why, in heaven's name, are we not sharing the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation to all that believe? God has unleashed the power of heaven in our lives. And Paul understood this. God used him to change the world. And I just tend to believe that if Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus can become our prayer for ourselves, God can use us to change the world. So how about it? Do you want to grow in your knowledge of God or are you satisfied? I hope you're not satisfied. Because there's so much more of God you can know. Are you living with the confident hope that's going to sustain you when your world falls apart? I hope you are. Because hear me. I'm sorry. But one day it will fall apart. Have you experienced the power that is available to those of us who believe the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? Are you living in that power? Are you experientially appropriating that power in your life so that you can live outside of the bondage of sin? So that you can overcome those defeated, depressive thoughts so that you can begin to serve in a way that makes a difference in the world, so that you can begin to share the gospel with a world that desperately needs to hear it. Are you? Is that what you want? That's what I want. I want that for you. But let me be selfish. I want it for me too. I want to grow in my knowledge of God. I so want to hold on to that confident hope and not lose it. I so want to experience his power in my life far greater than anything I've ever experienced before. I pray that as those things happen in our lives as a family, that Lexington, West Columbia, Casey, Columbia, Blythewood, Irmo, and everywhere around us, South Carolina, the United States, and even the world will be influenced because our knowledge of God is growing. We are living with confident hope that gets us through the difficult times of life, and we are living in the power of God's resurrection. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. And if that's what you want, I want to encourage you in just a moment as we have our altar time to just come to this altar and just pray that simple prayer to God. Pour your heart out to God. 
but. There are some here that have never met him. You don't know it. You've never met the God of the Bible. You've never humbled yourself before God, acknowledging your rebellion, your sin. You've never trusted Christ alone to save you. You've never surrendered control of your life, making Jesus the Lord of your life. And today you know you need to do it. The reason you know you need to do it is because God is drawing you to himself. He's saying, I want you, I love you, I want to save you. And so if that's where you are, then I want to give you an opportunity to give your heart and life to him. So I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes with me. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here and and you need to give your heart and life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. and You rose from the grave to pay for all my sin so that I could be forgiven. Jesus, I'm trusting you to save me. And I'm giving you my life. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. Amen.